Everybody enjoying their week? It's been pretty cold. I am. You are? Yes. Why are you enjoying your week so much? Because of Jesus. Let's go. You just always know the right things to say, Enrique. Wow. That was deep. <clears throat> All right. Why don't we just go ahead and pray one more time before we uh, get started tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the presence in this house. Thank you for coming down here and walking amongst your people and dwelling with us tonight. We are comforted. We are strengthened by your presence. Lord, your anointing is in this place. And God, I pray that you would just strengthen me for the task that is at hand. And I pray that you would give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see tonight. Open up our hearts to you as we receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we are continuing our series tonight entitled, The Lord is My Shepherd. Um, we are going through the... Uh, John chapter 10, and um, we see in this chapter that, that there's a common theme. This is a very key and essential parable about shepherding. And preluding this chapter, we learned a few things. Enrique got some mud rubbed in his eyes and received his sight a couple of weeks ago, if you recall. Um, and that's exactly what God did or Jesus did as he was healing the blind man. And he healed the blind man in this way to kind of uh, be an illustration for the Pharisees. It was sort of an object lesson to kind of teach them how blind they really are. And we can learn from that as well and realize how blind we really are until we meet Jesus. And so um, he healed the eyes of the blind man and, and revealed to the Pharisees how blind they were. And, and he continues to lay out this parable that they just could not understand. They could not grasp. And in this parable, he's speaking of sheep. He's speaking of shepherding. We know that sheep have great peripheral vision, right? But they have a hard time seeing something that's standing directly in front of them. And so they rely more on hearing rather than seeing their shepherd. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, the word of God. Amen. Um, and so last week we moved into um, verses uh, seven through 10 in John chapter 10. And in there, we, we received the revelation of, of who Jesus was. Does anyone remember the statement that Jesus makes in, in that passage? I am. Did someone say that? Yes, Cassidy Gallagher. Give it up for Cassidy. <laughs> Jesus made that crucial statement, I am. And he talked about being the door. He was the door to our salvation. That door was opened at creation. And, and man could have a close-knit, one-on-one relationship with God. And then Eve kind of... Spoiled it all when the serpent showed up and she ate of the fruit of the fruit of the tree of life. And so they got kicked out of the garden. God kind of closed that door. And now a couple thousand years later, a few thousand years down the road, Jesus comes back and he comes back to open the door to us so we can have salvation. And we know that that salvation only comes by him. And so we gained a good understanding of who Jesus was and his existence tonight. So with that in mind, we're going to continue in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and we're going to start with verse 11. And Jesus makes another key statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, that I am statement is very familiar to us. I am. That means to be or to exist. It's where we get the name Yahweh in Hebrew. And that is translated in your Bibles as Lord, 
and it means self-existent one. Jesus is the one true living God. We know this. He makes the statement before Abraham was, I am. He is the one who spoke to Moses through the burning bush in Exodus 3. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we know that there is one God, and he was in one man, and that one man is the door. And so we know there is only one door, and that door is Jesus. He is the only way for us to find salvation. We are completely 100% dependent upon Jesus Christ. And once again, Jesus is tying his self-existent nature to another key statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now that word good means literally or morally good. It's the kind of good that's inspirational. It's motivating. It's one worth modeling your life after. It's the kind of good that moves you and that, that once you recognize who is good, you're willing to naturally follow that person that is good. Other words used to define it are valuable or virtuous. You can't put a price tag on just how good Jesus is or how good heaven is. It's valuable. It's like the, the parable of the hidden treasure. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's so valuable that no matter what the cost, you are willing to pay the price. You're willing to give up whatever it takes in order to go after what is good. I like the word virtuous that's used to describe this kind of good. And I think that virtuous really does describe Jesus as this shepherd. Um, my reasoning behind this is because we see in Scripture that Jesus had virtue, right? Jesus had virtue. The woman with the issue of blood. We talked about this um, a few months ago. That when she pushed her way through the crowd and she, she you know, just mustered up all the faith that she had inside of her. And she just reached out and just touched the hem of Jesus's garment. The Bible says he felt virtue go out of him. He felt it leave his body. And his virtue, his goodness, it literally went out and it saved that lost sheep that nobody else wanted anything to do with. She was sick. She was unclean. Nobody wanted to touch her. Nobody wanted to go after her. She was like a sheep fallen in a pit on the Sabbath. Nobody wanted to go after her. And he's not just a good shepherd, but he is a good shepherd that gives. He's a good shepherd that gives. He gives his life for the sheep. The most accurate way to translate this word would be that he lays down his life for the sheep. And you'll see that most modern-day translations will use that term. He lays down his life. Now, this isn't just because that is how you can define it in the Greek, but it also fits the context. Uh, further down in our passage tonight, you're going to see in verses 17 and 18 that Jesus speaks very specifically about laying down his life. And the reason why I think that this is so crucial is because of some important information historically that we know about shepherds and how they interacted with the sheepfold, specifically when they were outside of city limits. Now, there are two kinds of sheepfold. Up to this point, we've only heard of one, and that's this one, the public sheepfolds. 
Um, these were held within city limits. Um, there was large amount of sheep that would gather there. There was a single doorway and there was a gate that would open and close. And there was a doorkeeper or a gatekeeper that would watch over the sheep. And so multiple shepherds would bring their flocks together and they would leave them there and they would go off, take care of their business. And they would come back and call their sheep out and their sheep would hear their voice. They would follow them. And this sheepfold was had very tall, uh, big stone walls. And many times it had a roof over the top of it. And so this one is very familiar to us. We've described it a couple times now. Um, this was kind of like a first class business model. You know, you can just hear them making the sales pitch, right? Like, come on into our sheepfold. We've got pure granite built by the finest masons. We even have a roof over the top so your sheep won't get too hot. So they would, you know, maybe coax them in like that. I'm, I'm just making that up. That's not true. That's You won't find that anywhere. But it's fun to imagine it, right? And so so that was the that was the public sheepfold. The other side, the other one was the countryside sheepfolds. These were located in rural areas and were usually smaller, um, circular rock walls. They were very, they were lower walls. They had one very narrow pathway in and they had no gate. It was open. There was no roof over the top. It was just out in the middle of nowhere, just a cheap little um, uh, sheepfold. There was no doorkeeper to watch over it. Um, it was kind of like a rest stop. If you've ever, you know, stopped on like a wayside or whatever, taking a trip, you know, where there's like some picnic tables and some restrooms. Anybody ever done that before? This would probably be kind of like that. You're shepherding your sheep and you've traveled a long way. And now you just need somewhere to find some rest for a night. It was just a quick pit stop. And so when the shepherd would lead his sheep into this kind of a sheepfold, um, he would then lay himself across the opening. And now when you think about it, that's a pretty vulnerable place to be. Can you imagine for a moment? You're out in the middle of night. It's dark out. There's beasts everywhere, wolves, whatever. I mean, your sheep are sitting ducks, quite frankly. There's something out there that's hungry that wants to come after your sheep. And you as the shepherd are willing to literally lay your body across that opening because it helps to keep your sheep in and keep the danger out. That's what good shepherds were willing to do. They loved their sheep so much, they would literally lay down their life to protect the sheep. And that's exactly what our good shepherd did for us. He laid down his life to protect us from the dangers of sin, from wrath, from judgment, from hell. He, he, he did that. He laid down his life on the cross to keep us from those eternal consequences. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm thankful that someone would willingly lay his life down, that Jesus would do that for us. So with that, it brings us to another important part of our text tonight. Verse 12, it says, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Now, we must first recognize here that Jesus has officially moved from comparing thieves and shepherds to now comparing hirelings and good shepherds. He's kind of upped the ante. In verse 10, we see that thieves have only come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
But the hireling is different in this way. He was authorized to be there. There were some decent motives behind what he was doing. A hireling was someone who was hired to watch over the sheep, and he was there to earn an honest day's wage, but that was it. He wanted no strings attached. He wasn't there to necessarily destroy anything like a thief or a robber, but he was careless and indifferent towards the sheep because he was not the owner. He wasn't the actual shepherd who truly loved his sheep. He was in it for the money. Just keep it simple, stress-free, get my paycheck, go home. And the moment danger comes, he immediately thinks, well, that wolf is above my pay grade, or that uh, bear is above my pay grade, or lion is above my pay grade. And he runs from the sheep because he does not care for them. He has no heart to watch over the sheep. Can I tell you tonight that you are not above God's pay grade? Mark 10, 45 says he gave his life a ransom for many. Jesus paid it all. The entire amount due for the penalty of sin with his perfect, blameless, spotless life. Your situation is not too big or too small for Jesus. If you're his sheep, he is there to care for you, feed you, and protect you. He is the one who leaves the 99 in order to go out and rescue the one. His flock is never too big, and you can never be too isolated for Jesus to find you. Can I also tell you how to know when you have a good shepherd in your life? It's someone that doesn't run from you when you are in spiritual danger, but they run to you. We have people like this everywhere, all over on our pastoral team, and, and just attenders, uh, congregants of this church. They're, they're willing to face danger. Hebrews 13 and 5, um, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always present no matter where you are. Psalm 139 and 8, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. You can be on the highest of highs or on the lowest of lows, and you can rest assured that Jesus is always nearby. You can never escape his omnipresence. One other thing, I can personally vouch for men like Pastor Soto and Pastor Hoffman in saying that they are reflections of good shepherds. They lay down their life for the people that God has given them. Now, I don't mean in the same way that Jesus literally died for us. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I do mean is that there are other jobs out there that are far less stressful and pay a lot more money than this one. But they choose to be here. They could go somewhere else if they really wanted to, but they don't. Why? Because they want to stay here. Because they have a deep conviction that drives them to love on you and I and, and, and the people that are upstairs in the middle of a service right now. They're here for us. They're here on a mandate from God. They are his appointed good shepherds. And they take it very seriously. They put in countless hours. They're very selfless. They pray, they fast, they intercede for you. They, they prep sermons. That alone takes hours on hours just for one message. Aren't you grateful that God has given us men like that in our lives? I know for, from other uh, Christians' experiences through other churches that not every pastor pastors 
the hard way. But we have pastors that pastor the hard way. They're willing to get down into the muck and the mire of our lives. They are very persistent. You can't put a price tag on that, that kind of leadership. And in many ways, I'm here to be an extension of that to you. I'm not the lead pastor here, so whatever they say, whatever they teach, if it contradicts something that I tell you down here, let me save you the time. You refer to them. Go with what they say, okay? I'm an under-shepherd. I'm not like with them. I'm not up there, okay? But I am the youth pastor. And in the most literal sense, that means that I am the shepherd of ATC's youth. I'm the shepherd of you guys. I'm going to give an account for how I handle shepherding you, for how much I care for you, for how much I run to you when you have a problem that you're facing. I will give an account to that, serving under the umbrella of the leadership of Pastor Soto and Pastor Hoffman. Verse 14 tonight says, I am the good shepherd. He says it again. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's another one of those familiar statements that we've encountered before. This is the second of three times where Jesus references the sheep knowing him and him knowing his sheep. He states it in verse 4 of John chapter 10. He mentions it right here in in, in, uh, verse 14. And he mentions it again in verse 27, but we haven't gotten there yet. We know that this kind of repetition has significance within Scripture. It's done to draw us into a deeper focus on that particular statement. It's very significant. You can't overlook it. It's emphasizing its importance. But why this statement? Because this is the undoubtable fruit that will be present with all of Jesus' followers. You're going to hear his voice, and you're going to listen to that voice. You're going to be sensitive to that voice. If you don't know his voice, and you say, who cares? Well, then you're going to be immovable, you're going to be unmotivated, and you're not going to really do a whole lot for God. There's, you're really in a tough place if that's where you're at. And my prayer is that you would leave that place. And come to Jesus and know his voice. But not only is this statement repeated, but Jesus adds some key information to help us understand exactly what this shepherd and sheep relationship should look like. He draws the parallel for us between his relationship with his followers and his relationship as a man with God. We're supposed to be so complete in following Jesus, so attached at the hip, that we obey him with a perfect obedience, just like he obeyed God. That's kind of the general sense of what this verse is saying. He obeyed God so perfectly that he could make this statement found in verse 30. I and my father are one. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is Emmanuel, meaning God with us, but he also was a man. This is called the dual nature of Christ. He was just like your average man in many ways. He was born into this world. He learned to walk, read, write, communicate. He learned math. Um, He worked a blue-collar job as a carpenter. He had to go through all of the natural progression that we go through growing up and becoming adults. But on the flip side, he could also heal the sick, raise the dead, and he could resurrect his own body. 
So he's a man, but also he did have the power of God residing in him. Now, the key takeaway from this scripture tonight is this. If you don't get anything else, this is the point right here that you need to get. Jesus is the shepherd and he is the sheep. Think about it. We know him as his sheep and he knows us as our shepherd. Then Jesus is the father's sheep and the father is Jesus's shepherd. So Jesus is the shepherd to us and the sheep to the father. He's speaking as a man here. I'm not, I'm not teaching you a Trinitarian formula. You know me, okay? I am 100% against that. But the whole point is, in the dual nature sense, when he is speaking strictly as a man, he's doing that to give us an example to follow. And he's giving us this pattern. He was also a sheep being led by God. God was giving him instructions. So Jesus, as a man, lived his life receiving clear commands from God and obeying those commands like sheep hearing their master's voice. Some verses that allude to Jesus literally being a sheep. John 1, 29 and 36 makes this statement um, in both of those passages. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was literally considered a lamb, like a spotless lamb presented for our sacrifice. The same way that lambs would be presented in the Old Testament, except for Jesus would be like the final sacrifice, the final spotless lamb to eliminate all sin, past, present, and future. That's why he came as a physical human being, because this could only be accomplished through enduring real temptation and persecution. Real obedience comes from real conflict. You don't have real conflict if you are a superhuman. So Jesus had to obey. He had to experience real conflict. Hebrews 4 and 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus faced temptation, just like you and I. He faced struggles just like you and I. The only difference is he took the power and the authority and overcame those struggles. He stayed in perfect obedience. So in order for Jesus to truly endure anything, he had to be able to feel it. It had to be a real legitimate sacrifice. There had to be real blood, real pain, real temptation, real suffering, real shame. He had to experience it all in a very real way just like you and I. Hebrews 12 and 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now watch now. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross and despised shame. Despised means to think little of. He was so humbled by taking a punishment he did not deserve that he thought nothing of the shame that the cross represented. It doesn't mean he didn't feel that shame. 
Because that was a shameful act. To be put on a cross means like you were, that was capital punishment. You were the worst of the worst. But it does mean that his mind was so set on obeying his father's command that even though shame was very much so present, Jesus was even more determined to endure and conquer death. Why? Because he was perfectly obedient as a sheep. And at the same time, he was relentless in his pursuit of being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus was committed to obedience. John 10, 17 through 18. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Jesus is crystal clear in our text tonight that he was going to obey every command that God gave him. He was confident in his obedience before it ever needed to take place on the cross. His mind was made up on the challenge of reaching and enduring the cross. He was willing to struggle for it. He was willing to go through some tough times in order to get to the cross. Remember Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. This is right before Judas is about to betray Jesus, another passage that we should still be a little familiar with. What happened in the garden? Jesus goes off to pray, brings Peter, James, and John with him. They're all sleeping. He goes about a stone's throw away, and he's praying to God, and he is praying fervently. He knows that Judas is paying off the people that are going to come take him in that moment. It's happening. He knows the cross is just on the other side. And so he is praying to God, and he's praying so fervently. And God gives him an answer. He sends him an angel to strengthen him. Doesn't take it away from him. Doesn't say, okay, never mind. You don't have to take up the cross. It's fine. Gives him an angel to strengthen him, to prepare for the pain that was going to come. And Jesus receiving that revelation, it says that he prayed even more earnestly. He was in complete agony and he begins to sweat blood. I don't remember the, top, the medical condition off the top of my head, but it, was, it is a real medical condition. And it usually comes when your body is so stressed out, it's reached such a peak amount of stress. That, like, like a stress that can only come from knowing that you are going to die. That those blood vessels pop and then it starts to sweat through your sweat glands. So he is at peak stress in this moment. But he was still willing to obey God. Why do you keep telling us this tonight? I've said the word obedience like a million times. I'm well aware of that. It was by design. I'm trying to get you to understand that Jesus was a man and that he had to go through that and he had to feel it. And it's, it, the whole point is because of this. It's because of another man's obedience that we can stand here today. That's how important obedience is. Jesus had the free will to decide to run from his father if he wanted to, but he did not. He stayed and he endured the cross. He was the perfect example of obedience. And obedience to the word of God 
has the power to save the entire world. If you think about it, if every person obeyed the word of God like they should, the entire world would find salvation. There would not be one person left behind. That's how powerful obedience is. It sounds so simple, I know, but, and it really is. It really is. You can have all the faith, you can have all the messages, you can have all the worship in the world, but if you don't obey anything that God tells you, you have nothing. You have nothing. If you've gone out of these youth services over the past couple of weeks and you didn't do anything with the words that you heard, you still have nothing. I'm not trying to bust your chops. I'm trying to get you to know how serious this is. Obedience is a serious thing. It's a serious thing. This is where the battle is won or lost. The enemy attacks us at the decision to obey or disobey. He's okay with you hearing another sermon as long as when you go home, he'll get you to disobey. He's okay with you dancing in an altar as long as he can get you to disobey outside of church. The enemy's very comfortable with where we're all at right now. He's okay with this. And he's thinking, oh, that's all right. He's preaching about obedience. Just wait till they leave. I got him. That's what he's thinking. Guarantee it. Now, if he can't get you to disobey, then he's going to try to tip the scales of your focus. Because just like Jesus, we are called to be sheep and we are also called to be shepherds. What tends to happen is when we is we we will tend to lean heavily to one side of that scale or the other, to the side of sheep or to the side of shepherds. Hopefully this will be clear for you after I explain this. Some of us are content being sheep. We show up on Sunday and Wednesday, we're fed, we're cared for, we fellowship. We talk to our best friends and then we go home. We're good with that. We feel good. It's comfortable. We're finding warmth and security within God's flock of sheep, within the fold, within all the people here at ATC. And it's okay. We're good. That's not what we were called to do. Because wherever you go, equipped with God's spirit, where he is not or where there is not an apostolic presence, you are the spiritual authority in that area. You are officially the good shepherd that was sent to that area. Anywhere you go, you are a shepherd. Some young people over my years in youth ministry have been the spiritual authority in their homes. That's no disrespect to their parents. It's just their parents aren't living for God at all. And we had young people that were on fire for God. Guess what? In a spiritual sense, they are the shepherd over that area. God has placed them there in order to watch over that home, to pray over their parents' souls, and to try to shepherd them and lead them and guide them and reach for them to bring them into his fold. Whatever confused public school you might attend today, they're all confused at this point. It's ridiculous. You are clearly the spiritual authority. I mean, it's so obvious in school. You are the spiritual authority. Therefore, you are called to be a shepherd to your school. 
That's your domain and God has placed you there for a specific reason and purpose. But there's no one in my school living for God. Oh, they're there. You just need to find them because they're lost. If no one's living for God, how does that reflect on you? You're the shepherd. Where are the sheep? Where are the people that are following you? Who are you getting getting your hands on? What relationships are you connecting with and, and drawing people into God and into community? Who has God given you an advantage of having a, a, a deeper connection within your school? What friends do you have? Those are the people that God's calling you to reach. You're building a relationship with them. You know them and they know you. Do they know Jesus? Those of us who are obsessed with just being sheep need to do a better job of answering the call to be a shepherd. Meanwhile, on the other end of the scale, many of us can become so focused on being the shepherd that we forget how to be a sheep. You can't go straight to being a shepherd without first being a good sheep. That's like saying you can be a great adult without having responsible parents to raise you as a child. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. Ever heard of Tarzan? He was raised by apes. And what happened to Tarzan? He acted like an ape. Unfortunately, that seems to happen in America sometimes. Um, but, but in all seriousness... If you were, let's say, let's say you, you all just raised each other, this whole youth group from the time you were a baby, there would be none of you left. But let's say, let's say you were children raising children. Guess what? You're going to grow up to be children trapped in an adult's body. That's literally what's going to happen. So you cannot be a shepherd without first being a sheep. No more than you can be a real adult without first being a child that is learning from somebody else. For example, you know, you, you come into this world as a baby, then you grow, your, your parents are caring for you, you're, you're completely helpless as a baby. Well, now you can walk a little bit, you can move around and you can play for yourself. You're a toddler, you can kind of be left alone a little bit. Then you become an adolescent and you're really annoying and you talk too much. <laughs> and then you become a teen and you have no idea what's happening as a teen. <laughs> Your emotions are all haywire. And, and then eventually you endure through that trial. That's basically like the Garden of Gethsemane at that point. That's agony. And you become a responsible adult. And then what do you do? Usually those responsible adults end up repeating the process. They have children. They raise them up the best that they know how, and those children become responsible adults. Slowly as you grow and as you mature, you go from being more of a sheep, like a baby, to being a shepherd. The, the scale slowly tips in life, literally and spiritually. But you never stop being a sheep. You always need to be a good sheep. Sidestepping the sheep stage is sidestepping submission to the word of God. How so? Let's do a little exercise. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. How do you obey that if you're not a sheep? How do you literally enact this verse that's calling you to be a shepherd 
without first having the heart of a sheep to obey it. You can't. It's impossible. You are stuck from the word go. You're going nowhere fast. You have to first have the heart of a sheep to be humble, to know your father's voice, to follow it, to obey it, to go wherever he calls you to. You're instantly stuck. I'll give you another example as you stand tonight. My final example involves Peter and Jesus. And I gave this example on the first Wednesday of the year when we were upstairs. What happens? Jesus prophesies to Peter. And he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. But I've prayed for you. What happens? Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. He completely sidestepped the call to being a shepherd. How? Because he wasn't willing to submit like a sheep. He wasn't willing to be humble and set his pride aside in order to share with someone who Jesus was. People kept asking him, do you know this man, Jesus? And he said, nope. Completely lied. Completely disobeyed God. And for that, he was separating himself out of the fold. He was wandering. He was lost. He was that one sheep while the other 99 were being persecuted. But then Jesus calls him back. says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Be a shepherd. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Then Jesus asks him again, and I'll say it again, you can literally feel Peter's enthusiasm in his response because he was, the guy was always just jacked. He was always on 10 all the time. Peter, do you actually love me? Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. God was restoring Peter as a sheep so that Peter could go on to be a shepherd. You cannot have it the other way around. It's like faith and works. Faith produces works, but you can't work faith. You can't get faith the other way. It doesn't go backwards. It only goes one direction. God made it that way for a reason. So we will always be humble and we can always be used by him. So which side do you fall on tonight? Do you lean more to the side of the sheep? Are you more content just kind of sitting back? I'm just a good sheep. I'm a good Christian. It's okay. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm not, I'm not a thief. I'm not here to steal, kill, or destroy. Okay. Well, that kind of mentality sounds a little bit like a hireling to me. You're more indifferent than anything. And the problem with the hireling is Although he wasn't there to steal, kill, or destroy, his indifference brought out the same consequence as being a thief. Because the wolf came in and scattered the sheep and took away some of the sheep. It was still just as destructive. So our indifference to reaching our world is just as destructive as us trying to influence them negatively. 
You're just as destructive as the other bad influences that are in your school by you neglecting the fact, by you neglecting the call, by you not taking ownership like a good shepherd is supposed to of the people that are in your school. God's called you there for a reason. I know God is sovereign. I know he's got things figured out. I know he's reaching for people all the time. I know salvation has appeared to all men. But God also laid this burden in our lap to give us an opportunity to get involved with his handiwork, to reach for those people. I'm sorry for being long tonight. I didn't intend on that. But I think that we need to take a couple moments and we need to deeply consider our motives in life. Our motives with how we interact with people. Our motives with, with how we go to school, with who we're influencing and how we're influencing them. We need to deeply consider these. We need to answer the call to be both a sheep and a shepherd. Some of you might need to just get down and, and, and get on your face and cry out to God because you haven't been a good sheep. While some of you maybe have been great at coming here and showing up and supporting and, and worshiping, but you haven't answered that call to be a shepherd. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Wow. <laughs>